either do it or don't. And, and then they just don't buy into it. So they don't do it well. They don't market it well. And then they end up scrapping it completely. So I was taught if you do something well enough for long enough, it works. So you just, you've got to commit to it and you just, yeah, keep doing it and know that that customer will come. Welcome back to my deep dive into the ins and outs of plus size retail. In episode one and two, I spoke with industry experts and brand insiders about what data informs decisions about extended size expansion, how plus size launches are planned, and what makes a retailer pull the plug. Links to those episodes in the show notes if you want to catch up, which you should. We got so much feedback from listeners from the first two installments of this series. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. You have reached the Boob Sweat Hotline. I honestly don't trust that brands want to close me. I think they want my money. I don't think they want me to represent their brand. And that makes me less inclined to go into a store because I've had so many negative experiences. So when I see the plus size market, I see dollar signs. I don't see an interest in me as a human or me as a fashionable human. Um, and that's an area that I think because they did some socials and really started expanding their social media stuff and add, added more models. Even with the, if the products aren't available yet, build that trust back to show people of my size and larger as fashionable, stylish people who are worthy of style. That's going to help me believe that you as a brand give a shit in a way that right now I see your interest in my money. And in an email, Helen writes, to me, one to two years is just not enough time to gain the trust of a whole segment of the population you've excluded for a bajillion years. People need time to feel safe coming to stores we've always been excluded from, especially for in-person shopping. Why is there such a disconnect between online shopping for Plus and in-store shopping for Plus? Let's talk with Madison Higley, who's the producer of this podcast. Hello. Maddie, hi. <laughs> hi. So recently, I went to an event at Hudson Yards, and I thought, you know what? Well, I haven't been in here in years. Why don't I walk around and just see what people are doing? And I was not surprised. I, I couldn't find anything in most of the stores. I was disappointed by the sales, um, the sales associates' responses to me, but I did have one shiny little bright light from H&M. Oh, really? Yes. I always forget about H&M. Me too, because H&M feels like a brand that I uh, don't think I should shop because it's like fast fashion. But So I basically wrote them off and I, I haven't really checked back in with them. But I went in and found like two X's that could fit me um, all over the store. And I really was impressed. Yeah. I feel like I saw someone the other day and I was like, oh, where's that sweater from? And it's old H&M. And I was really surprised. Me too. Maddie, I feel like a couple of years ago, I saw um, Tess Holiday did a campaign with H&M to try to expand the sizing. And I think it might have stuck because yeah, I, I feel like it again, does. it would. Yeah, it was really one of the only places that I could find something. Yeah, and I feel like in my local H&M, I haven't been in a while just because I feel like suburban in shopping, like in-store shopping is so hit or miss. Yes. Um, I feel like I'm just circling the jewelry aisle 8,000 times, <laughs> just waiting for people to be done. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I feel like online, I always go on H&M. I'm like, oh, yeah, they have a pretty good selection. But 
I'm just hoping that they get it in the stores <laughs> soon. Yeah. Good to know about that. But no, I could not find anything at Hudson Yards that I wanted to buy. Which proves what we're saying here, that uh, in-store shopping, the experience still sucks. So this is, I think I've been doing this for almost 10 years. And um, no, I still can't shop in-store, at least at Hudson Yards. I'm going to be doing a couple more um, experiments on Lower Fifth. I'm going to go uptown. I'm going to go to Soho and see what's what. But um, I am not hopeful. And that is, that's sad to say. I think that we've kind of lost sight of what's going to get us to the future. And I think what's happened in kind of the social media spiral of the next few years is we've started to build our own fantasies, but they've started to lose touch with how reality operates and how fashion operates. That is fashion and culture writer John Luca Russo. His latest book, The Power of Plus, dives into the history and future of the plus size fashion industry. I'm going to speak with him about the future of in-store plus size shopping after this quick break. One thing about me is that you will never catch me wearing clothes that don't make me feel amazing. <clears throat> Ballet flats, but to each their own. And you won't catch me shopping at places that don't offer inclusive sizing. That's why I love Never Fully Dressed. They make colorful multi-wear styles in statement prints that fit every body. And Boo Sweat listeners can get 20% off both online and in the new York store using code Katie20. Buy something that makes you feel amazing. Try it on in person. They carry sizes 2 to 24. You know, my cart is full. Once again, the code is Katie20 for 20% off at Never Fully Dressed. Happy shopping. Now back to the show. Do you like shopping in stores, John Luca? I do like shopping in stores. I feel like it's a fun experience, but it's not an experience I've gotten to have many times before. So it's definitely a rare thing for yeah. me. But there is something that's exciting about being able to go, especially with my friends, whether or not we actually buy something, but just being able to be there and have that experience. It is something that I enjoy and something that I got to do a few times growing up. Yeah, I hear that. And I also, I like shopping in store because suddenly you get to see all of the clothes you saw like online that you were like, oh, maybe I'll get that. Maybe I'll get this. And then you see it in person. And you're like, I don't even like this. Wow. I saved myself a return. Yeah. So I, but I never get to do that anymore. Yeah. It really does simplify a lot of that. I think that's what I enjoy too. And it's more of like a spectacle. It's more of like an occasion to go out for. And I think that's what I enjoy about it. Were you surprised by any facts or stories you got from writing the book? I think what was most surprising to me was to see how bad things still are behind the scenes. Yeah. I think I knew a lot of the issues that still existed, but I didn't know how prevalent they were. And so then getting to understand that first person perspective from all the different models, designers, influencers who are incorporated throughout the book, that was really eye opening to me to see how bad it still is for them and how they're still persevering through so much. I think the media has painted this image almost over the past few years that size inclusivity is in and it's happening. I don't think that's necessarily mm. true. And I think the people who are leading the charge here are also dealing with the most amounts of pain behind the scenes. And so that for me was the biggest thing is realizing these issues are still so deep and they're still so prevalent in fashion and there's still so much work that needs to be done. What do you think one of the main issues is that, that most people are dealing with? Is it the internal fat phobia? Is it is it that they don't know how to make the clothes? What do you, if you could pinpoint it, what do you think you could credit like the failure of plus clothing to? 
For a period of time, I think it was because designers didn't know how to make the clothes. I don't think that's the case anymore because they have yeah. so many resources now. It's still a prevalent issue among newer designers because it's something that's not taught in fashion schools. But by and large, I don't think that's the big issue. I think the big issue here more is in the fact that there's this huge disconnect between brands and the customer. And the customer doesn't necessarily know what she wants yet because she hasn't been given the options. And so she just kind of wants to be given everything. But from a fashion perspective, designers don't really know what to do because this is a brand that um, a, a customer base that's still so new. So they don't really know how to tackle it. The audience doesn't really know exactly what they want. They want the time to be able to experiment and figure out what their personal style is. And so you're just kind of left with a bunch of different feelings and emotions and wants. And no one really knows what the steps forward are. Mm, that is that pretty much how it feels like like this whole podcast has been going, yeah. like trying to figure out what actually is going on, because the answer is there's a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings and like no one really knows what to do. Yeah, it seems like brands that launch extended sizing right out the gate when they launch as as brands have more success. Do you think that there's any truth to that, that like you have to launch with plus to be successful with plus? Or do you think that brands who don't currently have plus could be successful? I think you could be successful launching plus further down the line. But I think where it's beneficial is if you do it at the inception of your brand, you're going to be developing that community from the start rather than turning them away for however many years before you start catering to plus. And so I think a lot of the issues are attached to the emotion and trust aspect here. If you launch a brand that is inclusive from the start, people are going to know they can rely on you. They're going to know you care about them. They're going to look to you and they're going to grow alongside you as you as a brand grow. When you launch it further down the line, there's going to be years in between there where this customer feels rejected mm. by you. So mm. then to have to course correct and try to welcome them in, even if you put a ton of effort there, it's going to be so much harder because how do you get someone to say, okay, come now and give me your money when I've turned you away for so many years? How many seasons do you think, like, if so, if you're advising a brand, how many seasons do you think is the minimum that they need to stay in? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a hard question. I would say it needs to be, you know, a few years at minimum. To, I, to I really said three years in my own brain just now. Yeah, I think three to five is where I would say yeah. is where you'll see a really big return on profit. I think that first year is really important on being able to welcome yourself into this community and figuring out how you can best serve them. Yeah. Um, and from there, then you have to kind of show up. It's one thing to talk yeah. to talk, but you have to walk through. And I think that two to five year range is where you have to kind of continue to get better. And that's when you kind of see that grow um, happen. But I think, you know, three years is the minimum of how long that investment should be. Minimum. And I'm seeing brands, I'm seeing brands pull after one season. Yeah. So it's, I, I think that's so crazy. I mean, I wore a dress last night from Stoud when they made plus for one season. And it was like, I'm like, I love this dress. Like, why did they stop? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I wonder about that too? Sometimes I think those brands almost believe that people are more ready to shop than they are. And I think from the customer perspective, what I've seen in having those conversations is mentally we're ready for more fashion, but when it comes time to actually then shop it, there's a lot of people that are still hesitant, whether that be because yeah. of financial reasons or they're still nervous about wearing certain types of garments. I think all those issues that we're actively working against are still prevalent. I think what happens sometimes is we discredit them. We think, 
oh, plus size women are ready to wear anything. They want to be bold. They want to be confident. They want, you know, luxury, all of this. Those things are true, but also a lot of people are still struggling there. And I think that's what happens is a brand will hear that and say, okay, let's do it. And then it doesn't necessarily give them that quick return because while there are people who are ready for that, there's still so many others who aren't. And they need to recognize that not every plus customer is ready for the exact same type of clothing. Something that I have started to think after starting to record this podcast series is, um, do you think we're getting it wrong? Do you think we should have, like, I when I started, I just wanted to be able to go into the same stores as my friends. And now I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we should have stuck to plus size and non-plus size retailers. Maybe like that is the safest place for plus people to shop because they know what to expect. Granted, there should be more options and more price points, but I, I don't know. Do you think that there's any merit to that? Or do you think I've, I've just become a cynic? <laughs> um, no, and I agree with you. And I also think this is my controversial opinion that I know people do not always agree with. Um, but I think that we've kind of lost sight of what's going to get us to the future. And I think what's happened in kind of the social media spiral of the next few years is we've started to build our own fantasies, but they've started to lose touch with how reality operates and how fashion operates. And so I don't think we've necessarily figured out what are the actionable steps we can take to get there. Of course, that end goal is being able to shop with your friends at any store in any size. We know what the end goal is. I think we're all in agreement there. What's happened, in my opinion, is that we all have started to construct different fantasies of how to get there and none of them are quite in line with each other and so we're making these demands we're saying we want this we want this but it's not in line with how fashion works it's not in line with what designers want to do and so everyone is just kind of up in the air right now and i feel like especially over the past few years people have a lot of wants and a lot of desires but not a lot of action and so i think our end goal is the same and that i think we can all agree on but how we get there is so all over the place right now that some people think, well, maybe we should focus on plus only right now because doing this whole size equality, size inclusivity thing isn't working and we need options now. So let's focus on this. Whereas some other people say, well, let's just only shop these brands, only shop the five or six brands that are totally size inclusive and that's it. Everyone is going about these different methods to try to get to what the future is because we don't know what's working because frankly, so many of the things we've tried have not worked yet. Now I have a question. Target and Old Navy. So Target, very successful with plus size clothing. Old Navy has now um, very publicly pulled plus size off of the floors. And they have about the same number of doors around the country. Why do we think that Target was able to, to kind of seamlessly integrate plus into their clothing and Old Navy like couldn't handle it for more than a season? So there's actually a lot of nuance in that conversation. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people feel similar and they're confused as to why. But I think when you break it down, it actually makes a little sense as to why this happened in terms of the Old Navy situation. Mm. So both of these brands were called out back in 2013, 2014, I believe, for segregating on sizes, for charging more for sizes. Um, Both Mm. of them kind of had this big moment back then and they tackled it differently. Target moved a little bit faster. They collaborated with Chastney Gardner Valentine. Um, They started bringing in Plus, and we kind of saw that progression over the years since 2014. Whereas Old Navy kind of took an entire step back. They stopped offering Plus in store. They took away that, you know, price changes, but they really did not focus on Plus at all. Instead, years later, they spent a few years developing this new 
um, body quality initiative, as they called it. Yes. Where they were going to offer every single style in every size at the exact same price point. So this was a huge thing. And it obviously took so much work to get there. It's a bigger feat than what Target did. And I think that's why it's, it's kind of a little bit more discouraging in a sense. What Target did was bring plus in little by little. Target does not offer plus in every style and every size. They don't offer that. Okay. They offer plus and it is reliable. And we know we're going to get it with their designer collaborations. But if you were to go into a Target store, not every piece of clothing is offered in every size that they have. Whereas Old Navy wanted to accomplish that. They wanted every single piece of clothing in every single size they offered in every single one of their 1,200 stores across the nation. And not even a year later, there was that news that Old Navy was pulling it back. When you kind of look into it, what they did was make a readjustment. They didn't entirely pull it out of stores. They pulled it out of initially about 75 stores. So still over 90% of the stores are supposed to have that body quality, size equality. Oh, still today? That's what's supposed to still happen. Now, is that actually happening? That's the question, because there's a lot of people who say, oh, well, my store has never had it. So that's what Old Navy is saying, that they only took it out of 75 of those 1,200 stores to start. They're making a readjustment to match the demand that they saw. So they're almost kind of coming back down to Target's level. Target does a similar thing. They don't offer plus, they don't offer clothes in every single size. Old Navy now is bringing it to that level. You know, the stores that were selling plus are still going to continue to do that. But the stores where no one was buying those higher sizes, they're going to pull it out because the demand isn't there. So they're making a readjustment. Both of them just went a different strategy. So I don't think it's necessarily as discouraging yet, but I am anxious to see what happens in the coming year as Old Navy continues to make those adjustments. Ooh, they really should have messaged that. But but do you also find that it's kind of like for brands, you're just kind of damned if you do? Because even if you're like, okay, we, hey guys, like we still have it in over a thousand stores. Then you've got the vocal uh, people on your social media just being like, it's not in my store. And then, uh, and then everyone's like, ooh, they're doing b- bad. So I sometimes get frustrated with that, that there's such like a mm-hmm. negative uh, outpouring always. So brands are scared to do anything, really. I think that's true for so many brands. And that frustrates me to like such a core level every time I see that. Even when Old Navy announced their news, which was such an exciting moment, initially it was met with so much backlash because they were not including a size. I believe it was 30 in store. It was one size that they had left off that was going to be online only. And so because of the backlash, people were discrediting how momentous this moment was, something that no brand had ever done. And I don't think we gave it enough credit. No major retail brand like that with that many stores had brought plus to every single size at the same price point in every store. And it was discredited because one size was online. And then those sizes didn't sell, which is why they then had to pull it back in some of those stores. So I think it is a moment where it's like, how can we ever succeed if everything we're doing is being painted as wrong? Where do you think we go from here with plus size shopping? Like, do you know, and I know you talked about how everyone's trying like different methods and not quite like nothing's quite in sync and or successful. Like, I don't, do you see the future? Like, do you know what it is? Yeah. I mean, I see a future. I don't know if it's the future I want, okay. but I think, I think the future I see right now is that we're in a time where many designers, many brands are turning away from plus either they struggled with yes. it 
They don't have the money for it. They can't focus it on it right now because of shipping or whatever other issues that are being presented to them. So I think we're at a time right now, especially after the past fashion week, where things feel like they've taken so many steps backwards. And so what I yes. think the future is in the short term, um, so the future in the next year or two, is turning back into the community and supporting those community-led brands, especially the small businesses, mm. the indie places. I actually think that's going to get us closer to a future because what I'm seeing happen is these larger brands are looking to the indie brands to lead the way. And then they're bringing those indie brands in to collaborate and eventually bringing them in full time into those stores. Oh. So they're using the indie brands as the blueprint for them to find that success rather than them to be successful on their own because they've likely already failed at doing that or find it too challenging. So you even look at Nordstrom, who is now bringing in all these size inclusive brands into their stores, right? Macy's is doing the same. They're looking at these indie brands and they want to see, okay, you found success in size inclusivity. How can we partner with you to bring that to our audience? So I think over this next few years, we need to look back into our community and support those indie brands and lift them up so that they can then be lifted up to a wider audience when these brands take notice. The pain point for major retailers is that expanding to plus requires significant investment but then they do not give it enough time to generate the revenue they're aiming for and cut it before it matures. Offering all sizes at all stores at once is ambitious and a big risk. Taking things slow and focusing on steady growth could be the way to accomplish having inclusive sizing IRL. Maddie, we talked about Hudson Yards and the stores there, but what about Target? Yeah, we got a lot of voicemails and emails about Target, which is interesting. Some emails were saying that they would go to one store, like their hometown Target would have a bunch of plus size options and they'd be able to shop as much as they want in there. But then they would like go visit a friend in another city and they would go to their Target and there would be nothing. It does show that tar- big brands like Target have to take into consideration like who's actually shopping the clothes and like where uh. these products would be most useful. Because for example, like maybe they don't, those like plus size options don't sell as much of one target compared to another. So like maybe that's what they're taking into consideration. It is very muddy for the consumer because who knows, like you don't get the answer to that. But it, I feel like it has been helpful for Target to keep those clothes in the stores and they haven't pulled them entirely. I wish that there were some way that tar- that retailers could just alert you to the fact that they're a plus size friendly store. Like And I feel like there's no way to do it on the website. The website's too busy. Consumers aren't going to do it. I almost want like a banner on like one of the doors as you're walking in, like some sort of logo that says like, you can shop here. Or like more signage. Because I know if you like search for a specific item, you could see if it's at your store. But that's so tedious. It's tedious. And and is it even accurate? I don't really exactly. trust inventory systems that like consumers have to search. Yeah, especially at that large of a scale. Like I wish yes. there was a way to like even search your target on your website to be like, oh, what size ranges do they usually carry? Yeah. And I'm sure that would be a really big um, undertaking. But at the same time, there has to be a way to alert people. Yeah, we should have a meeting with Target. We should have a meeting with Target. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll call them. That's what, I, that's what I'm taking from this. National stores either don't carry everything everywhere or they try to carry it everywhere, but they can't keep it in for long. John Luca pointed out that he thinks the future of plus size retail is found in the small indies that are putting in the work and valuing customers of all sizes. We have so many like little lunches and stuff with our customers. Listen to your customer. That's the 
people that are buy, buying from you, and the people that are, we, we're so lucky. We've got such a vocal customer base. That was Lucy Allen, one of my favorite people and founder and CEO of Never Fully Dressed. After the break, she is going to talk about what it's like to run a brand that carries an extended size range both in-store and online. More after this break. I'm never fully dressed without Never Fully Dressed, the brand that has colorful, multi-wear styles that fit every body. Never Fully Dressed offers fashion that makes me feel amazing, and I want my boob sweat listeners to feel just as incredible. So they are offering us 20% off online and in-store. That's right, in-store. Use code KD20. Once again, anyone size 2 to 24 can get 20% off, never fully dressed using code KD20. And yes, this is me giving you permission to multitask. Do a little retail therapy while listening to the rest of this episode and let me know what you end up with in your cart. Full transparency, this podcast episode and my store visit were planned before NFD came on to sponsor this episode. Now let's get to my conversation with Lucy. All right, so let me share a bit, Lucy, about why I love Never Fully Dressed. I had been introduced to the brand about, I don't know, a year ago, and I am so impressed with, I'm just going to brag to you for a second about you. (laughs) That's fine. Feel free. (laughs) I guess a nice thing to hear. I am so impressed with the way that you speak to your customers as friends with like the empowering language and programs that you put out for your customers and the way that you allow women to dress as individuals. It's such a special brand and I am thrilled to be involved with you guys. So thank you for wanting to bring me into your family. Thank you. That's very kind of you. It's mad because when you say Oh, thank you for that. Or people say, do you know what I mean? It's, that's great. To me, that's just a given. That's how one should talk. I think women are amazing. I think people are amazing. It's just a celebration. So that's a given to me. It's not even that I think I'm doing anything special by, by sharing that. So. But you are. Maybe it's rare. Yeah. But I think it should be the base layer. Yeah. That's standard. All the diversity that you have in your ads and in your social posts, was it important to you to bring on extended sizing right from the start of your brand? In all honesty, when I first started, I didn't come from a design background at all. Everything was just oversized. Everything was one size, but it was really big. So you could make it work for all sizes. Um, Then when I suppose I was more conscious that I was making a business. I never set out with a business plan at first. Um, I've always been slimmer myself. Do you know what I mean? It's, I've not been as aware of that need. As I've grown the brand and thinking, what do I want to be proud of? What do I think we can build here? What do I think, who do I think we can represent? Or what can we, um, looking at it from that point of view, then I've been aware and thinking, this is what I want to be able to achieve or this is what I want to stand for. It's been more conscious. When did you start extending your sizes? About five five years ago. And really, so we've been going for a while, um, but only really grew. We kind of had different starts. I still used to travel about and make things and sell them at different markets. I used to come to New York and do artists and fleas. I used to go to Australia and I'd just sell stuff. Um, so only really from then we opened a little store and social media grew. And then it was like, okay, another start for the brand. Yeah, that's when we started to extend. 
I love that. I love that you really have, you've built a business. Um, I, I've talked to you about this before, I believe. You've bootstrapped it from the, like you really started it bootstrapping and then you've kind of grown into this global brand. Yeah, we still do. So we've had no investment. I own it all. Like we've always just worked on our cash flow. Um, and I've had meetings in the past. Like my sister's of that world. She's got a real job. She's in the city and deals with money and stuff. And has always wanted me to have that conversation. And and I think then we we grew. Everyone wants a little bit of that. So everyone's like, oh, this is how much you can sell your business for or whatever. And I think sometimes you can get a bit sidetracked, but we're not. We're And when I've had those meetings, I'll be in a meeting with like 10 white middle-aged wealthy people and I'm like actually I don't think I need your money I think I can I can do this and there's a yeah a pride that comes with that but um yeah so we've always done it which is a good discipline I think to work on your cash flow so like it's not that we then raise debt and then we get quieter and you've got to cover that and I think that's when people get in trouble so um it's been a sometimes you've got to be more patient for that but it just means that the growth has been steadier and if we make a mistake or there's a, a bit of a trough then you've got good disciplines to get you out of that um, rather than always having money being thrown in because then you can deal with any problem if you throw money at it, but that will run out eventually. So, yeah. This is our structure with Mega Babe and we're self Don't get me wrong, if it wasn't, I totally back other approaches no. to stuff. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. But that is, I mean, I just don't think people understand. Um, I don't know of a self-funded clothing brand with international presence and retail stores. I, I don't know of another one personally. Um, so it's a big deal. And I'm just saying it for the people because I think people don't understand what it's like to actually uh, run something on your own. And then being in that room with all the middle-aged white men <laughs> who are like, we can do this and this. And you're like, well, actually I can do that too. So why do I need yeah. you? I actually only think that confidence came I think only reflectively, maybe since I had kids. Because I think before that, I always kind of downplayed, I don't know if it was being a woman or it's quite a British thing to be a bit self-deprecating, I don't know, of thinking, oh, like if my sister wanted that conversation about finances or where we, like, I used to downplay it. Whereas now I'm like, okay, no, this is actually, I feel confident in what we've achieved or in the voice that I have or what, like, I think I deserve that seat at the table. But that's been really recent that I would have that. I think we're, Maybe I don't know if it's in the US as well, but in a society of you only um, amplify or celebrate those like the Elon Musk or those big, massive wins. And actually, okay, just doing well or like um, employing a few people or whether it's just being profitable or standing for something good. Actually, that those little things are brilliant. That is success, yeah. but just in a different eye. I don't think culturally we celebrate that um, very well. That's a very good point. And uh, also being a business owner, we don't celebrate that stuff ever. Mm. We're always like, oh, man, like, why? We got to get here. We got to get here. But you're right. Yeah. Even just employing people is a huge deal. Yeah, I do. I think I'm, I'm proud of that. That's one of the things that I'm proud of our business for. I'm taking a note from you. <laughs> so being a self-funded brand, I think that it's extremely difficult and extremely brave that you took the chance to add in extended sizing. So did you bring that on as like a mission statement or was it the revenue stream opportunity? What really turned you on to plus size fashion? It was the, yeah, more of the mission. I think the inclusiveness and that celebration of being true to what our voice, what we say that we celebrate 
that needs to be true. So it was that rather than revenue. It was only later that you're thinking, I think it's, um, is it, you might know better than me, but I think it's 68% of the US curve. But yet there's so many less businesses that serve that um, community. So if you're looking completely economically, um, it just makes sense. It's a, yes. where, rather than going into like new fashion brands that don't do that, you're just going into a completely saturated market with less people to serve. So if you're looking really simplistically at the numbers, it makes sense. But it actually wasn't there. That was a later, hey, like this is beneficial from a business point of view. But no, it was more genuine of serving all of these women that we think are amazing. It's a win-win. Truthfully, that's what this whole podcast series that we've that we've been doing is about is with those numbers and that logic and all the good intentions behind it, why are so many brands failing with it? So what challenges have you experienced launching into Plus? I totally get, again, why businesses don't. As much as for us, it just makes it obvious um, that there are all of the things. I spoke about it recently and someone's like, oh, well, do you think there are excuses of why people don't get into it? But no, I think they're true reasons. So it does cost us more to make a bigger size. So it does cost us more to make the same dress in a different... So we have two size sets. So it would go from a... And we're actually introducing a zero um, from January too because we're getting a lot of requests for smaller. So again, from that inclusivity piece, like broadening on, on both ends. So we make from a zero to a 26 in nearly everything now, at least a 24 like US sizing, at least a 24 in everything um, in our core range, a 26. Um, so the one price for a garment would go up to a 14 and then we have to pay more. So it might cost us $5 more to make that larger size, I suppose from fabric consumption, but also there's a little bit more wastage because how you lay the pattern for the dress if that pattern piece is bigger, then there's more wastage of fabric around it. And then you've got grading costs. And there are a lot of cost implications in making that bigger size. And we would never pass that on to the consumer. We would absorb that. I think that's just our, our choice, that, that, that that's just a given if that's what we stand for and that's what we're true to. I'm, I'm a believer. I mean, you trust your gut. You know what the right thing to do is. And then everything else seems to work itself out. Can I ask what what were some of the most surprising things that happened after launching extended sizing? Our return rate is actually lower in our larger sizing, which is interesting. That's always a good thing for a, a retailer to get a lower return rate. So yeah, our return rate is lower in that um, extended sizing. I don't think there's any other surprises. I think it... it did it start off really slow? Did you have to build in the customer yeah. base? Because you had previously not offered extended sizing. And then five or six years ago, when you invited those yeah. customers in, was there resistance or were they like, give it to us? Not resistance. I think they were quite excited about the fact that we don't change the garment. So we still now grade and fit it so it's the same, but the straps aren't then thicker or whatever. So I think people were excited that the product stayed the same. Some of our factories 
didn't want to do that size offering for us either. Do you know what I mean? Because then they need to grade and make more. So maybe we started with certain factories that were open to that. So we started with a smaller range to start with. I suppose we didn't know either if we had that community out there. Because um, if you're not shopping with us, we're going to have to find a new customer. Or maybe you were window shopping with us before but couldn't shop with us. So a little bit of both. And I think, um, I think it just grew. I think it snowballed quite quickly. I think we worked with, we're quite friendly with, I don't know if you know, uh, Felicity Hayward in the UK, and she's really vocal. Um, she's amazing. She's a really good friend um, of ours and the brand. So she wore it quite early on and, that, and continues to promote it. I think we did a bit of a shoot with her during lockdown. So we, we tapped into those communities, I think, with, we're always led by relationship, even with factories of mine or whatever. So that came first and then grew. So I think it's you've got to then find that community to shop with you, which again maybe is a marketing cost or something that brands who don't do it might have factored in. But I say I think I was taught if you do something well enough for long enough, it works. So you just you've got to commit to it and you just yeah keep doing it and know that that customer will come. Other businesses who have shuttered plus have like big boards and a lot of other people to weigh in on on things. Do you feel that having 100% control of your brand allows you to keep plus size going um, as it was evolving? Yeah, of course. It, it gives you control over everything. Like, And I think it enables me to really even support our team. Like if someone comes to me with an idea, it's very rare I would say no because I'm the only person that I've got to get that by. So if I'm passionate about something, which clearly inclusive sizing is important to me then and there'd be no reason that I'd go back on that so I say I'm so lucky because of that when I say uh, there are different journeys that you can go to to get where you are but I think I'm lucky that then I haven't got to have anything I'm a bit stubborn probably and a bit of a control freak really do you know what I mean so uh, um yeah no one else would probably work with me so yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> when you hear all these brands being like we can't extend the sizing it's like a financial commitment for us we can't do it do you buy that I mean, I find it boring. Like I said, I mean, like it's, um, it's not real though. That's not a real, that's not a real excuse. Right. I mean, I don't think it is. No, like I said to you, I think that because it's, it's there in black and white, the numbers that you've got a, a wider market to serve that's less saturated. So yeah, of course it, it would make sense. It's like in, we used to be in, in galleries, Gallery Lafayette. They were like, they wanted us, it wasn't managed very well, to be honest, probably on both sides. And, and they were like, um, we want you to come in because we're doing this whole inclusive project of sizing. And so we were like, okay, amazing. So they were, so we're going to extend to a, uh, a US 8, a US 8, and they would buy like one piece, one piece <laughs> of an <laughs> 8 in like four styles. And you're like, I don't think you're really going to get the customer through the door, but you need to commit to it, I think. Um, it's a bit of a catch-22 because you're never going to get the customer otherwise. But that's what they all, we've had it with maybe four big partners. Do you feel the plus-size clothing industry as a whole is shrinking? Like we saw it expanding maybe five, six years ago, and now it's shrinking? Yeah, I think it seems, especially in the US, it feels, or actually, no, and in the UK, it feels just quite specialty. And I know there's a few... There were a few shows at Fashion Week which celebrated, but I think they're really niche brands. I think people are struggling to do it on a, in a commercial way that feels cool, feels quite honest. Do you think at the end of the day, fashion executives ultimately just don't care about dressing bigger bodies? 
and they view it as specialty. Yeah, I think that I, I think that in their head it's a bit old, like we're doing it not as a favour. Do you know what I mean? It's, they're either run by the numbers. If if their ref, if their FD said to them, "Oh, actually, this is making us more profit," then they'd go with that. Those white middle-aged men need to see that. Or, or it's a bit like, oh, we'll do that as a, a bit of a tick box, or which I don't think there's any longevity in in either avenue, really, because it, I don't think it's coming from a true place, personally. Yeah. If if you could give advice to a brand who wants to launch with Plus right out the gate, yeah. what would you say? What's like a piece of advice that you would give them? From a design point of view, like I said, like add elements because if if you're a smaller brand and you might not have the resource to have a garment tech and have different fit models to work on and stuff like that. So maybe look at different fabric bases. Don't look at shirts straight away, for example, or things with buttons. I mean, look at pieces that you might be able to extend without having such expertise because I say it's been years of us growing. Um, look at maybe having dual sizing. As well, sometimes that works easier rather than having a six, eight, ten, twelve. I mean, you can have a, a small if there's elements that give to the fabric, and that can sometimes be a bit more enticing for the factory to work with because they don't need to make I don't know how many sizes we make, say say twelve, fifteen sizes. Yeah, that's why a factory will charge you much more as well because there's all the sample machining, all the patents, everything to grade from that. Whereas if you're doing a small, medium, large, extra large, they've only got to do four sizes. So your prices would be different. It's a, it's a cheaper price to buy. It might be 50 cents or something like that per garment if you've only got X amount of sizes rather than 12. So that might be advice if you're a, a small, medium-sized brand to just help with the finances of that. That's very then, good advice. Yeah, practical, practical person. Um, and then just try and work with, I say, work with that community. Listen to them. That's the best thing, no matter what size you are for us. We have so many like little lunches and stuff with our customers. Listen to your customer. That's the people that are buy, buying from you. And the people that are, we, we're so lucky. We've got such a vocal customer base. Even when, I probably shouldn't say this, a few years ago when I said before, our quality probably wasn't where it should be, where it is now. And we'd have customers emailing, being like, ah, oh, the quality of this dress or whatever, like, wasn't amazing. I really want you to do better. Like, they're even saying it from such a good place. And then they're still our customer now. Now, when we have improved, and it hasn't got to be quality or fit or whatever it is, but bring them on that journey with you because you're not going to get it right all the time. Listen to your customers. I love that. Yeah. Simple, but often ignored. Yeah, it's, it's simple. That's your free. And, and the, the word of mouth, like when we say back to the gradual growth as well, word of mouth is probably one of the slowest, really, but uh, most genuine and powerful forms yeah. of marketing. So... Yeah, that's what you that's what you need on your side. I don't know that any investigation has gone on longer than this, but I started this podcast series in the fall of 2022. And the more I researched, the more people I interviewed, the more I discovered, the more doubtful everything felt. I spoke with journalists who cover fashion retail, people who worked in retail stores trying to launch extended sizes, and even the CEO of a clothing company that has offerings at almost every size. Each interview ended pretty much the same, which was not the answer I wanted to hear. From supply chain issues, logistical nightmares, souring investments, not listening to customers, and ultimately trying to get people to change their habits, 
success in extended sizing was not in the cards for so many major retailers. The promise of shopping plus size in store felt like a bust. But as John Luca said in his interview, I think that we need to reevaluate what success looks like for plus size clothing on a national level. We've seen national retailers either not offer all sizes in store or only offer a full size range in a few selected stores. And based on the conversations we had in this series, that makes sense now. Stores were expecting to change habits overnight, and when they didn't see growth, they just had to pivot from all those offerings. What is exciting is that we are seeing new independent size-inclusive retailers grow, and these brands are serving us. They want us to buy their clothes and value us as a customer. They're putting the time and money into making clothes that we actually want. I think there are enough influencers in the world doing the legwork to find the brands, and I think if we want to keep showing those brands that they should continue to make our size, it's so important for people of all sizes to be able to find clothes they want IRL, like can I please run into the gap? What's the big takeaway? I mean, the big, the, I, can I say, can I work through the big takeaway for a second here? Sure. The big takeaway is that when I started this podcast, I mean, the big takeaway is that when I started the 12-ish style, I was a size 12, 14, and it was, I think, 2014 or 15. So we're talking nine years ago. Uh, and when I could barely find clothes in store that were a 12 or a 14. So we're talking less than a decade ago, you could barely shop at those two sizes. I would say the big win, the Ashley Graham on the cover of Sports Illustrated, like brands launching extended sizing, even if they took it away. The big win here today is that if you're a size 14 or a size 16, you can walk into most stores and find your size. That is a win. I think we look at this whole industry as like a losing battle. But the truth is, we have made progress. It's not the progress that we want. It's not everyone shopping in every store at every size. But there has been mass general progress made. Like a carrying a 2XL in store was unheard of 10 years ago. You could barely find an XL in stores 10 years ago. And now you've got brands like Ula Johnson making a 2XL. I mean, these are brands that weren't even touching like above a size 10. So yes, there has been progress made. It is not as fast as we want it to be done. It is not as inclusive as we want it to be. But the truth is, there has been a lot changed. I'm trying to say that there has been a win. No, I agree. It's just not the win that everyone is demanding. It's a win for 10 years ago. And then it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, a, then... <laughs> I mean, it's, listen, it's a win for the 15 year old girl who like doesn't have to go to the woman's like shop. She can actually shop in like a teen store. Like that's a win. I am not going to stop asking major retailers to bring size inclusivity into their stores. It is so important for people of all sizes to be able to find clothes. IRL when they need them or just when they're out browsing with friends. The promise of carrying all sizes in stores is happening gradually and 
we are getting even more brands creating inclusive sizes as a need to have and not a nice to have. But the most important thing to take away from this series, and everything I do for that matter, is not to let a number on a shirt or size range in a store or a brand failing at making your size make you feel like you aren't enough. You are wearing the clothes, not the other way around. I want to thank Gianluca and Lucy for coming on the podcast. You can find where to follow them at the links in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate and review wherever you listen because that shit is important. And remember to follow the podcast on your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Have a question or comment? Call our hotline 201-701-1575 and you could be featured on the pod or email us at boobsweatproductions at gmail.com. If you can't get enough of me on your phone and in your ears, then you should check out my book, Body Talk, which is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere good books are sold. This show is produced by Wonder Wheel Media and Madison Higley. You can follow me at Katie Storino on Instagram and TikTok to keep the conversation going. This podcast is over. (laughs) A year later. We landed the plane. (laughs) Yes.